When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and its lore. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm your other host, Shelby or SheCup. And we're here to talk about Dragon Age. And so I think it is that time again for everyone's favorite topic category. Yeah, we are uh, doing a long-awaited, very interesting deep dive. This one is about the one and only Alistair Theron. I know we've kind of talked about him in the past when we talked about Ferelden, but we felt like he really deserved his own episode. He deserved a deep dive. He deserved, you know, the full hour to to devote to just Alistair. So that's who we're talking about today. Austin, do you have any preliminary thoughts um, just that Alistair is one of my favorite characters. I really like his story. I, ironically, normally with all these characters, I have like a preferred canon that I want with this character. Like, I think these are the right choices for them and where they need to go. Like, obviously, I always save the Chargers. I always let Fenris have his revenge against Daenerys. I... But with Alistair, I really don't know what I like better because there are parts of him being a Grey Warden and going through all of that that I really, really like for his character. But there are really big payoffs for him being king. And I never I don't want to let him be a drunk. It's too sad. Like seeing him in Dragon Age 2 as a drunk is too sad for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I've never let him become a drunk. I just can't handle it. But I've done both. Alistair, actually, I've done. I think almost all the options. I have left Alistair as a Grey Warden. I actually, I have had Alistair become a drunk. Um, I just didn't use that playthrough in DA2. Um, I have married Alistair and become queen and king together. And then I have had Alistair become king with Honora. I've never done it where he's king alone, I don't think. So maybe that'll be my next playthrough. But yeah, no, I agree. I think there are both major pros and cons with both Alistair ending up in the Wardens or Alistair ending up as a ruler of Ferelden. So uh, let's get into it. Before we get into fun facts, here's my little short one, two-sentence bio about Alistair. Alistair is the very first permanent companion that joins the player. In Dragon Age Origins, he is a young, new Grey Warden, and he's also a warrior and potential romance. So let's dive into the fun facts. At the beginning of Dragon Age Origins, when we first meet Alistair, he is 20 years old. According to the World of Thetis Encyclopedia, a royal inquest, I had to look up what that meant, uh, basically a judicial investigation was held to determine whether or not he was really the son of Merrick Theron or not. So if we were in Orlay, this would have been handled by the Council of Heralds. But we're Correct. in Ferelden. 
Good job remembering that lore tidbit. (laughs) So Alistair is also a half-elf, which we will get into later. If you don't know the lore backstory, that might be shocking to you. But yes, Alistair is half-elf. Also, here's something confusing. Um, Alistair is the only known Templar, allegedly, who does not need to be taking actively taking lyrium um in order to use his abilities dragon age origins dialogue implies that he's actually never taken lyrium but david gator said in an interview that templars can use their abilities for a quote long time after they've stopped taking lyrium using citing alistair as an example this suggests alistair has indeed used lyrium so insert tiktok sound So what is the truth? I guess we'll never know. I would really like to know. In DAI and DA2, if you take the Templar specialization, you do use Lyrium. Like it is confirmed that you are using Lyrium to amplify your abilities, at least in Inquisition, because there's a whole quest about it. And then Cullen will comment on it. And you have dialogue that you can comment with Cullen about it. But... In DA2, it's unclear, and I think it's unclear in Dragon Age Origins whether you, as the Warden, are taking Lyrium to fuel your Templar abilities. I think this is another case of game mechanics overriding lore in what's happening, and that they're like, oh, well, he doesn't take any Lyrium, but he can use his abilities. It could also be thought, I mean, there is a lot, and Origins was a long time ago. It's possible it was forgotten or overlooked, which is, it happens. Yeah, that's that's very possible, in my opinion. But moving on a little bit. So David Gator is, was the writer of Alistair. Um, and so he said that Alistair was inspired by Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly. And that he also wanted to cast Nathan Fillion, who played Mal, to be Alistair's voice actor, um, but it was decided to use a British actor instead. And so Alistair ended up being played by Steve Valentine. So in Dragon Age Inquisition, if Alistair appears as a Grey Warden, he mentions seeing his father in the Fade. This is something that happens in a comic, in the Until We Sleep comic. So it it kind of canonizes some of that comic. And so it just I just wanted to bring that up because it's kind of like, well, what else are they going to canonize from the comics? Does this imply that all of Until We Sleep is canon? Again, this is something that's unclear, um but I thought it was something we should bring up. I think that it's a way to like kind of bring in the timeline and the events of Until We Sleep Because whether he's a warden or king of Ferelden, I think that it plays out the same way. The comic Until We Sleep leans in, in that world state, he is king of Ferelden. And so maybe this is a way of saying like, hey, we're not canonizing an ending. Even if Alistair is still a gray warden, these events still happen. This story still happens. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And then my last fun fact, I know we've had a lot today, but my last one is that Alistair, along with Liliana, Cullen, Tegan, if you include DLC from 2, and Flemeth are one of the few characters who appear in all three games. Which is so interesting to me that Tegan is in that list. Like, okay, why is he there? Does Tegan show up? Outside of DLC for DAI? Well, um, if you account uh, Mayor Dedrick, whose rig they used for Tegan, yeah, I would, I do. But no, I think you're right. It may only be in the... Uh... I mean, at this point, I consider, like, Trespasser t- integral to the game. That, yeah, like, it, it's not like... Tegan showing up in Mark of Assassin. Like, Mark of Assassin has little or nothing to do with the outcomes of DA2. Trespasser is the ending of Dragon Age Inquisition. 
Yes, like Trespassers should have been included with the base game. But um, we won't talk about EA's micromanaging of that because that's not what our podcast is about. So anyway, um, let's get into Alistair's bio. So Alistair is the son of King Merrick Theron and, if you didn't know, future Grand Enchanter Fiona. He, though, has not been told about his true origins. He has always been told that his mother is a washerwoman who worked in the castle and that he has a sister named Goldana. This is a quest in Origins, and even though Goldana is not actually his sister, the game itself does not question this information or give you the real truth. You get the real truth in the Calling novel. So my question is, do you think that this was intentional, or do you think this was an oversight? I think it has to do that they didn't really want to have Alistair have, like, a more fleshed out backstory because if they introduce this thing where, you know, he goes and confronts Galdana and they have a whole thing and she reveals like, I'm not actually your sister. You actually have a mother. You either a have to just ignore that and let Alistair deal with that in context and not have any follow-up, which is probably going to upset a lot of your players that there's no follow-up to that big revelation or you have to have a companion who has a much more intricate side quest than all of your other companions yeah that's that's a really good point and and to me i personally come on the side of it doesn't really matter who it, it doesn't really matter if goldana is telling the truth it doesn't matter anything like that because alistair needs to learn that lesson anyway um, and in my opinion, he needs to be hardened, so to speak. He needs that, especially if he's going to be a leader and, and a king, but also if he's going to be a gray warden because he becomes a leader for the wardens in, you know, not necessarily in title, but by just who he is. And so he needs that, um, that growing lesson, in my personal opinion. Now, I don't wish him like harm or or hurt. But at some lesson, like he has to, he's got to learn those hard lessons. So that's my opinion. Right. I also think that with the introduction of Grand Chanter Theona, with the calling, like because both the Stolen Throne and the calling were released before, I think also that maybe David Gator at that point didn't really know where Grand Enchanter Fiona's story was going to go because she's just Grey Warden Fiona and her story is left ambiguous. So I think. To include her in such a way and then not really have a payoff for her, I think they were just really scrapped for time and trying to make the cohesive game that they want. Mm -hmm. And honestly, with a game like Origins that's going to launch a franchise after a big success with Mass Effect, leaving people wanting is not a bad thing from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on a little bit to Alistair's childhood. So he was brought up in the household of Arl Eamon of Redcliffe. He was not treated as a second son or like a treasured family member. He was really and truthfully raised as a servant boy with maybe a few extra privileges. Um, he worked as a stable hand until he left Redcliffe, and he left Redcliffe when he was around 10 years old uh, because supposedly Eamon kicked him out um, at the request of Isolde. I feel like this is less of a request from Isolde and more of a demand, but that is just my opinion. That's not really textual evidence that we have. Um, but Isolde always thought that Alistair was actually Eamon's son and not Merrick's. She thought that that was a lie and that that Eamon was, it. Alistair was really his bastard. Um, we know that that's not true, but that's what Isolde thought. And so she didn't want him in Redcliffe at all. She didn't want him around. She was threatened by his mere presence. And so when he's about 10 years old, he's sent to the Chantry in Bourneshire, or Bourneshire, I don't really know how to pronounce it, um, in 920 dragon but we've never seen this town we've never seen this chantry we don't know where it is we assume it's in ferelden but i've never seen it on any maps so uh it's a little unclear have you ever killed Isolde? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do it almost every time, frankly. Um, my <laughs> favorite thing about that is if you really want to play like your monster playthrough or whatever, and you kill Isolde and you have to get Alistair back on your side, you can basically say, why do you care? You didn't like her anyway. And he is basically just like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't like her. OK, we're fine. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It makes me laugh every time. It's so ridiculous. But yeah, I do feel like she says she's willing to sacrifice for her son. You know, she says, I'll do anything. Okay, well, it's your life for his then because I'm not making a deal with a demon. But anyway, that's off topic. So to move on a little bit, I want to talk about what happened when he was at the Chantry. We will come back to talking about Eamon. So keep that in your back pocket. But while Alistair was at the Chantry, he trained to become a Templar, and this is really how he learns to fight. He he realizes very quickly that he does not want to become a Templar, and so um, he really has no other choice. He doesn't have many options, but Alistair continues on his path, and he is at a tournament that is honoring the Grey Wardens with the display of the Chantry's finest warriors. There are three Templars that stand out. Alistair is not among this group. And Duncan is, of course, at this tournament. So I have, it's a very long story. It comes from the world of Thetis, volume two, page 80, if you're interested. But I just have a few snippets that I want to read. So bear with me. It's a little bit long, but I think it's got good information. And I skip around a little bit. This is not all like right after each other, but. Here are the parts of the story that I found are important. The Grey Warden seemed impressed by these three warriors, but still he appeared perplexed. This did not escape the notice of Knight Commander Glavin, who asked him, My friend Warden, why does your brow furrow? To which Duncan replied, I have seen many fine warriors of stout heart this day, but there, across the field, I see one Templar who has not been called to fight. The knight commander looked, and he saw the young initiate, Alistair, and when he did, he sighed. That one, he said, is a troublemaker. His mouth and his attitude betray a willful streak that will only do his fellows harm. He is not worthy of the honor of fighting this day. I come to find the best of you, the Grey Warden replied, not the most polite. Let him fight. The young Alistair emerged with armor and weapon and entered the fray. The others voiced anger at the initiate's late inclusion, and their efforts to push him from considerations were obvious. Alistair reacted in his own inimitable fashion. To those he bested, he reached down, offering his hand while smiling an impish grin. If refused, the gesture was replaced with mockery that drew quiet chuckles from the crowd. Often his opponent would storm from the field in fury, and Alistair would simply turn toward Duncan and shrug, displaying an even larger grin. Alistair was far from the most experienced warrior on the field. He was bested. Even so, when the tournament was won, Duncan turned to the knight commander and made his choice. I will recruit Alistair, he said. The knight commander was outraged, but could not refuse, for the Grey Wardens wield the right of conscription. None was more surprised than Alistair himself. But I didn't even win the tournament, he was heard to exclaim. I did not ask for the tournament, Duncan responded, nor did I offer recruitment as its prize. I came here seeking a warrior of character, and I believe that I have found him. One thing stands out to me that I haven't really thought of until I was like reading this. If you have read the Calling novel, you know exactly why Duncan picks Alistair. And it's because Alistair reminds him of himself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. With the the whole impish grin part of it, for sure. I also, I really love... The way that this essay 
continues and builds upon Alistair's character. We see glimpses of some of these things in the game, but this expands it in a really masterful way. We see Alistair like teasing um, in, in the game, but in this we see, okay, that goes back all the way. Like that's not just an Alistair flirting thing. Like that's part of who Alistair is. Um, and we see him be chivalrous in the game. But in this, we see, okay, well, he is big hearted enough to help a person that he bested or vice versa. And so to me, it's like these are things that are integral to his character and we're just getting expansions on, which I really appreciate. But I just loved the final line from Duncan that's, I didn't offer recruitment as its prize. I came here seeking a warrior of character and I believe that I found him. And I agree with that. Alistair is a person of character. Right. But I also like you see this in a moment and it kind of like frames certain dialogue between companions in like a new light. Alistair knows how to push people's buttons. And if you listen to his dialogue with Morrigan in that realm, he's not, he doesn't necessarily come off as the buffoon that we sometimes paint him as. Exactly. I think it's all an act and we'll get into that in a few minutes, but it's all an act. He knows what he's doing. So let's, let's move on. How did he get, you know, into the wardens? What happens? So Duncan finds him. This all happens in 929 Dragon, which is when he then joins the Grey Wardens. So he spent overall nine unhappy years in the Chantry. Alistair's joining into the Grey Wardens, though, was not without controversy, of course, because the Grand Cleric, who's a step below the Divine, vehemently opposed him joining the Grey Wardens. Um, but Duncan invoked the right of conscript conscription, and it's all history from there. So, in my opinion, Alistair's primary motivation for joining the Grey Wardens is the fact that he hated, hated, hated people deciding his life for him. He was never able to make a single decision for himself until he joined the Grey Wardens. He had no choice um, that he had to leave his father and mother and get raised by Eamon. He didn't have a choice to be treated as a stable hand, not a son. And he didn't have a choice whether or not to go to the Chantry. And so I think he's always grateful to Duncan for giving him that opportunity to choose something different. Duncan was the first person who really cared about what Alistair wanted for himself. Duncan, while he, I'm sure, feels a sense of duty to Merrick and to Fiona and to take care of Alistair in the way that he could, he does not care about Alistair about his bloodline like he doesn't care what that can do for him um he doesn't care what alistair can do for him he cares about alistair as a person and i think that that's really important to bring up i i agree with that um and i have more kinds of thought about that but i see that there is a kind of discussion later on so i'll save it for the end sure so um Alistair, unlike most Templars, interestingly enough, is interested in magic. He finds it fascinating. And this is a quote from the Alistair Codex that I wanted to read. Alistair is fascinated by magic, even as his life is defined by fighting its darker manifestations. He has a fondness for strange runestones and figural studies of arcane creatures. I think this is interesting. I do too. And I think that it shows to a point that Alistair actually would be a good king for a Ferelden because he's not on a sense of like, oh yeah, mages are fine. We should just let them do whatever they want. They won't do anything bad. No, he knows that Maleficarum and abominations can cause ridiculous consequences, but he also knows the Chantry as an institution of power and its corruption. And he's not going to sit there and just say, oh, well, the Chantry says this, so we need to do this. No, Alistair is going to think for himself, especially if he's hardened, and say, no, this is what's right. And I think 
we even see that if he's king and he shows up in awakening when they bring Anders in front of the the night commander and Alistair is like, well, I guess she's going to take it unless our gray warden friend here has something to say about it. And that's your like prompting to be able to conscript Anders. And so I think that his fascination with magic, he kind of takes a similar view to Vivian of like magic is useful. Magic is a tool like fire, but fire can consume everything if you let it. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. So moving on a little bit, I'm get back. I'm going to get my soapbox back out and stand on it because I have a rant. Um, I haven't had a rant yet since our Morgan. No, since our Flemeth episode. So it's been a hot minute. Um, the last rant I had was against Bioware. This is a rant against the fandom. I'm sorry. I love all of you. But listen to what I have to say. So a lot of people call Alistair a himbo. Alistair is not a himbo. Here is what a himbo is. Hot, dumb, beefy, respects women. Alistair's personality at first absolutely is the kind of funny class clown guy that can definitely laugh at himself. And you could think if you take him on the surface, you could think that he is a himbo. But deep down, he is very sentimental. He is very serious. And he's not dumb. He's not unintelligent. I think he pretends to be dumber than he actually is, especially so that people underestimate him. In reality, he's very smart and he actually has a lot of emotional intelligence, even if he doesn't have a lot of like academic book smarts. So Alistair is not a himbo. He is hot. He is beefy. And I do think he respects women, maybe not Morrigan, but every other woman. But he is not dumb. And this is the hill I will die on. I tend to agree with you in that. And like, it's the same thing that I come into with this is like a lot of times what we call himbos, they fit three, but not all four of the categories. Like, you know, a lot of people point to Uhtred as a himbo, which he is hot. He is beefy. He respects women. But that boy is one of the smartest people in the entire book show. Yeah, he also doesn't respect women that he thinks are stupid, though. So there's that. He respects yeah, a he, few women. He doesn't respect anyone he thinks is stupid. That's also fair. That's a fair point. Uh, and, you know, people from Last Kingdom, like Citric, people point to Citric because Citric is dumb in a lot of ways. And he he has a similar respect for women for the time. And some people think he's hot. He's not for me. But I, some people think he's hot. But... Uh, he's not beefy either. No, he's not. Yeah, three out of the four does not constitute a himbo. You have to have four out of four. You just do. But I think about this, especially about like Alistair, and you can push him to a sense of duty. But you have to understand like Alistair appearing dumb is not I don't think it's not just so people will underestimate him. I think it's a safety mechanism because if he appears as this unintelligent and this dumb kid, he is not a threat to the nobles around him. The minute he shows any type of political savvy or emotional intelligence or anything like that, he becomes a threat to the establishment around him. So he probably learned very quickly that if he acted dumb, he would be safe. Absolutely true. And even to take it further than that, it's not just a, a like avoidance of a threat. It's also a survival mechanism because he realizes, OK, this could literally kill me if I'm not careful. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. But my next little discussion question is about Eamon. And I know a lot of people who are Alistair lovers out there hate Eamon. So my question is, is Eamon a malicious power hungry ruler who just wanted Alistair to be on the throne so that he could um, be a puppet king and, and Eamon could control him? Or is he a man without a backbone who was whipped by his Orlesian wife and continues to and convinces him to treat a parentless child terribly and kick him out? Or is Eamon something else altogether? What are your thoughts? 
I think the answer to this, we actually have to look at a motivation surrounding another character. And I don't quite remember how this is set up in Stolen Throne or later, but I think it really depends on what you consider Eamon and Tegan and their father's motivation for setting up Rowan with Merrick. Because I think if Eamon and Tegan are behind that in the sense of, yeah, let's get our family on the throne. Let's get our power and our seat on the throne for power. Absolutely. I think Eamon's entire motivation is to have Alistair on the throne because he does want power. And I think we see that in a lot of ways. And we see that when Tegan first gets up there and Tegan is the one that is questioning Loghain, right off the bat because we can talk about Tegan knowing knowing the truth or not believing Loghain about the Grey Wardens pushing all that but if we look at Tegan's character in Inquisition we see that he's really about the development and the like power of Ferelden and so we have these two conflicting ideals of Tegan which we can talk about maybe Bioware just messing up the character to all of us being angry about the travesty that is Inquisition Tegan. Mm-hmm. But I think I think Alistair in a lot of ways is only a pawn depending on the motivations of initially setting up Merrick and Rowan. See, I don't think it's that deep because Tegan and Eamon are children when that happens. Like Rowan is their older sister. And so they get sent away during this whole war and the, their family, the Garens and the the Therans, have always been close friends. And so I don't think it's about them wanting power for themselves. I think they genuinely believe that a Theron should be on the throne. And so I think they support Alistair because that's what they believe in. I think that Eamon is absolutely whipped by his Orlesian wife because otherwise... There, it when he marries her, it causes so much drama in Ferelden because she's an Orlesian that he's marrying, and it's not very long after the war. And so, for an for a Ferelden noble to be not only married to an Orlesian woman, but also in love with her, is a major threat to the political system. And so, I think that. Eamon is absolutely whipped by his old and is just trying to like appease her when he does all the things he does, which it it very much is a um, unfortunate situation that he neglects Alistair. But I don't think that his intent is malicious. I can see that. Um, and like, it's also the point of like, Eamon is obviously like upset if you've killed someone to like basically save him. And we could talk about this, but he does not seem that been out of shape if you've killed Isolde as compared to any other option. Do you mean Alistair or Eamon? Eamon. Yeah, I think that's fair. But also, <laughs> she, she has done a lot of things that he would probably be mad about, like bringing in a blood mage to teach their child, letting their child get possessed by a demon letting him get poisoned and almost die you know all of these things have happened um so i could understand him being mad at he's old i think it's it's an important comparison like eamon treats the theron line the way that characters in lord of the rings treat the line of numenor like the theron line the theron kings are the ones who are going to bring ferelden to greatness you know, the Rebel Queen, Merrick, Callanhan, like all of these, Callanhan, like all of these great kings were all Therans, just like all the great kings and some not so great were from the line of Numenor and Lord of the Rings. It's a very similar kind of thing here. Yeah, I very much agree with that. But let's move on a little bit from this discussion, because I think now would be a great stopping point for our mid-break. All right, let's get into it. Ah, Hawk stepped in the poopy. I love you. Want a sandwich? All this for me. No, I didn't get Alexius anything. Send him a fruit basket. Everyone loves those. 
So welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things about the podcast that aren't about the lore of Dragon Age. And so it's here that I thank all of our patrons. Thank you to all of you for all of that. Uh, thank you to our newest patron, George B., who signed up there. Thank you to our first patrons, Lisa M. and Genesis, our Divine Tier patron kit. And a very special thank you to our Nug King, Louis H., and if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can go to, to patreon.com slash DALorecast and you can sign up at any tier and go and you can get anything from ad-free episodes and early episodes to coming up on the show to getting your own episode. And it's just a lot of fun and you can come and hang out with us one some month if you sign up at our first Enchanter tier or higher with that, if you can't support us on Patreon, we totally get that. A great way to support us is to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us five stars on Apple and some kind words, we'll read it out on a future episode of the show. And we are proud to announce that there is a new way to leave us a review, which is on Spotify, which allows you to comment on episodes. If you leave us some kind words on an episode, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. We just might not get to them as often as the Apple reviews because it depends on the episodes we're checking and we have to check each episode manually. And so, but we will get to it. I promise it just don't lose faith in us. Yes, we do have one today. And this one comes from George B, who is also our newest patron. So it works out perfectly. Um, and George said, love this episode. Great. Just like every episode I've listened to so far. So full of lore and love. Uh, and I love that I found people who love Dragon Age like I do. Thank you so much for that awesome review. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, you can also join us on Discord, the Cups Podcasting and more. You can find that link in the episode description or go to our website, cupspodcasting.com and you can find the discord link there and there and the discord you can find links and places to go for all our other shows and you can come talk to us about video games what you're excited about for dragon age Dreadwolf, or if you have a dragon age book that you just read and there's some tiny piece of lore that you feel like you're the only one who's ever noticed and you just have to share it with someone that the discord is the place to do that absolutely it is so let's get back into it You're looking for titsicles. Oh, that's good. Yes, and it's a real nice night for an evening. Um... <laughs> you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Alright, so now that we're back from the break, um, we're going to go through all of the places we see Alistair and buckle up because there's a lot of them. So let's just start off right off the bat. I'm going through these kind of chronologically, kind of not, uh, but the first one is The Calling. And Alistair's barely in this, but in the book, Merrick and Fiona have a relationship, a situationship more accurately, and they conceive Alistair. Fiona, of course, is unable to raise him because she's a Grey Warden, and so she brings him to Merrick, asking um, to make sure that he is raised away from the court and that he does not know about his elf-blooded heritage. Duncan goes with her and vows to watch over him and keep Merrick updated about Alistair's life. So I think this is a good point of like to talk about Duncan and Duncan's motivations because Duncan, by the end of the calling, Duncan has a lot of respect for Fiona as an individual. And, and so there is this vow that he comes back, which is why I think Duncan is there in Bronshire. He doesn't really give a crap about the Templars or seeing the best of Templars one, he is there for Alistair and he's mm -hmm. there to see, is this boy something that we could use? Is this boy Absolutely. something that I should take with me? Absolutely. 100% agree. Um, but that's about it in the calling. It happens at the very end. So very brief. Um, and then in Origins, of course, he is a full companion and he is the first companion that we meet in Origins. We meet him in Ostagar, where he is arguing with a mage. I'm pretty sure we featured part of that argument on a mid-break uh, clip before. And then Alistair is present at the Warden's joining and accompanies you into the Korkari Wilds, where we meet our second eventual companion. 
So Alistair and the warden are tasked with lighting the beacon at the top of the Tower of Ishal during the battle. This is, of course, when Loghain's army betrays them and Flemeth rescues Alistair and the hero of Ferelden. But Alistair is like the first person that you've got, like your first um, friend. He very much is the one that's like always there for you. Um, Some of the other companions are more like, I don't know if I can trust them, but you can always trust Alistair. He's very much presented in that way. So I'm not going to get into everything that happens in Origins because we've already talked about Goldana and, well, you can play the game. So there are tons and tons of ways to interact with Alistair throughout the rest of the game. He always has hilarious dialogue. My favorite line from him is the one about licking a lamppost in winter. It's just hilarious. But there are also a lot of ways that Alistair's story can end in this game. There are are so many things that can happen. So first of all, if you reunite him with Goldana, his supposed half-sister, she's pretty rude to him and you can harden him or keep him soft in this conversation, depending on your choices. So basically if he stays naive, not much changes. And if he is hardened, not in a um, bad way, He becomes assertive and pragmatic with a very strong desire to become king. Anyway, so some of the other options for Alistair and his story at the end of this game is he can marry Anora and become king. He can marry the warden and become king. He can be king alone. He can execute Loghain. He can have a child with Morrigan and or he can remain a gray warden. He can become a drunk, wandering Kirkwall. There are so many options for Alistair at the end of this game. He can also die. He can die killing the Archdemon and he can be executed by Loghain. Yeah, he can. But if he's king in Awakening, he shows up with a regiment of troops and wishes you luck in rebuilding and and all of that happens. But uh, moving on to Dragon Age 2, regardless of your choices and origins, Alistair shows up in Dragon Age 2. And there are three different options. So first of all, if Alistair is a drunk, he turns up as a sad, drunk man in The Hanged Man who laments his birthright. After a few years, Ban Tegan finds him and brings him back to Ferelden. If Alistair is king, Alistair and Bantegan make a visit to Kirkwall due to the sheer number of Ferelden refugees from the Blight. Hawk is invited to an audience with him, but we see and interrupt a dispute with Knight Commander Meredith, and Alistair and Hawk then discuss Hawk's potential of returning to Ferelden. And then lastly, and perhaps most interestingly, if Alistair is a Grey Warden, he is on a mission for them, which takes him through Kirkwall, just as the fights with the Kunari are beginning. He encounters Hawk and gives Hawk the Sacred Heart Amulet. This amulet is implied or confirmed, depending on choice, to be the hero of Ferelden's. So there are a couple of options here. If Alistair was in a romance with a hero of Ferelden who lived, he says, the amulet belongs to the love of my life. But she's always finding things like this. If he was in a romance with the hero of Ferelden who died, he says the amulet belonged to the love of his life, but, quote, she doesn't need it anymore. And then lastly, if he wasn't romanced by the hero of Ferelden, he says it belonged to a friend and they don't need it anymore. I like how a hero of Ferelden that dies, Bioware just likes to make their romance person like the saddest possible thing ever like we have this like she doesn't need it anymore or and then liliana who is like i have never loved love doesn't exist anymore i had love but it was taken from me right and zevran's all he never loved again he stayed faithful to the warden his whole life (laughs) like yeah okay thanks rip my heart in half again you already did it 18,000 other times, but whatever. It's rude, Bioware. It is rude. It's so rude. So anyway, let's get into the comics a little bit. In The Silent Grove, which we've already mentioned, Alistair arrives in Antiva City along with Isabella and Varric. 
He's looking for his father, King Merrick, of course. In this comic and in the two other that follow it, Alistair is king of Ferelden. In Those Who Speak, he continues his quest to find Merrick with the continued help of Varric and Isabella. He also meets the new Aeroshock, who is actually an old friend, Sten. Sten interestingly addresses Alistair as Kadan, and they fight, but eventually they become on the same side to defeat Titus, the villain of the story. And then in Until We Sleep, Alistair, Varric, Isabella, and Mavaris are trying to free Merrick from the McGrawlin. And this is what pulls them into the fade. And we get that uh, scene that I was talking about earlier, where he sees the alternate universe where he lived as Merrick's acknowledged son. Kalen was still alive, and so was Merrick. In spite of everything that happens, Merrick chooses to remain in the fade and basically says, like, everybody that I loved has died now. Alistair, however, tries to persuade Merrick that he should return with them. And then after returning to their physical bodies, the party finds Merrick still connected to the McGrawlin. Unfortunately, Merrick's health has deteriorated a lot, and it's basically speculated that the McGrawlin is all that's alive. And so once Alistair realizes that there's no way to end his father's suffering for the rest like of all time, Alistair destroys the McGrawlin, and that's what finally ends Merrick's life. Um, and then with their adventure over, Alistair returns to Ferelden to be a perfect little king. So this is really heartbreaking to me because not only does Alistair not have a father figure in his life, he also has to kill his long lost father himself. It's very heartbreaking and unfair. I 100% agree, but I have to point out, and maybe it's just because when we were recording Inheritance Cycle earlier, we were talking about foils, but I just want to talk about Alistair's foil to his own father in that like Merrick goes on these adventures and on these quests because he's running from being king because he doesn't want to be king. Whereas Alistair ends this quest and says, I'm ready. I'm going to be a good king now. But also it's so interesting because the reason that Merrick goes on this quest specifically is because he promised Flemeth that he would do her a favor. And in this... Alistair's life is saved by Flemeth. I just think that's a really interesting connection. I, we said this on our Flemeth episode, but like Flemeth is not a good character, is not a good guy. She's a good character and she does good and helpful things sometimes, but she's not a good character. I just think about that like Merrick goes on this adventure because he promised Flemeth that he would. So does Flemeth have some kind of like foresight? Is she sending him to um, this place so that he will get on this? Because there's some scheme that she's got going on. So, yeah, if you read The Stolen Throne, you'll get more of this. But part of it is he they come upon her in the woods and they're being hunted by the Orlesians and the Orlesian supporters. And so she's basically like, I'll protect you and, and help get you out of this situation, but you have to do something for me. And he's like, yeah, whatever, I'll do anything. And so her whole thing is that she wants him to go and do this, what she's asking him. And we don't get all the information, but she's asking him to go and do something and to tell the world that the blight is coming and that it's coming soon and that they should prepare. So that's her motivation, really. I think that especially if you want some cool uh, kind of parallels to the Dragon Age Absolution show, you definitely need to go read the Until We Sleep comic. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Agreed. But let's move on to Inquisition a little bit. Um, he does show up in Inquisition, too. If he is king, he uh, shows up when you side with the rebel mages, if you side with the rebel mages as he has allowed them to reclaim Redcliffe Castle. But if he, were, if he remained a Grey Warden, he is Hawk's contact that you meet in Crestwood, and so he's with you for a large portion of the game. So I do have a question about, well, does Alistair know at this point that Fiona is his mother? Like, I know we can have conversation with her about him, but does he know? 
I think he does. Um, but we don't ever get anything between the two of them, which I do think is a little bit of a tragedy. Time probably is is the answer, as it usually is. But so that's that's Alistair in everything. I mean, we see him in almost every single piece of Dragon Age media. But of course, as we usually do, I wanted to talk about some quotes before we get into our kind of ending wrap up stuff with this character. So um, he, of course, has the most iconic quote in all of Dragon Age, which is, yes, swooping is bad, of course. Um, but he also has some some good, not funny quotes, such as. Um, Alistair says, I met Flemeth in the Korkari wilds and she started me on the path to becoming king, which is very insightful. Um, but Varric responds with, we met her once too. She played a friend of ours, which is a fascinating response from Varric. But of course, of course, Alistair does have the iconic funny quotes such as nothing like a brush with death to make you not like death very much. <laughs> So insightful. Thank you for that one. And then my favorite, one of my favorite Alistair quotes of all time is him saying this, you know, one good thing about the blight is how it brings people together, which is so stupid. Right. But like when and Morgan's response to this line is so, because they're just like, are you stupid? <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he also is sentimental. This proves his sentimentality to a romanced warden. He says, you're the first woman I've ever spent the night with. And if I have my way, you'll be the last. Which, yes, in case you've never romanced Alistair, he is a virgin when you meet him. I will say this for his romance. And if you want a good like analysis, we haven't really talked about his romance in this deep dive. But that's because there is a great podcast that really deep dives into the romance. And you can go check out the two girls one shit podcast and they covered Alistair in depth and Genesis on there once said that as like as an adult romancing Alistair for the first time made her feel icky and having done it recently I kind of concur with that oh I totally agree with that it it is it feels weird um definitely weird to and you know he's 20 he's he's a kid so yeah, I agree with Genesis. And if you don't already listen to the Two Girls, One Shit podcast, definitely, definitely go check them out because they have episodes on all of the romances from Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2 so far. They haven't gotten to Inquisition yet, but I know it's coming. So definitely they're a great show. But the last quote I have from Alistair is really interesting one. Um, it's funny, it's humorous, but at the same time, it shows his deep insecurity. So let's, we'll read that one and then we'll move on. What? Lead? Me? No, 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 no leading. Bad things happen when I lead. We get lost, people die, and the next thing you know, I'm stranded somewhere without any pants. You know... If you've romanced him, all of these things happened except when he's not without any pants, he isn't stranded there. Yeah. Bad things happen. People die. They get lost. Yeah, but the thing about it is that happens regardless of whether or not Alistair is the leader or not. So, But I just think this shows really his deep insecurity with himself. Um, personally, that's my take on it. Yeah, that's fair. So... The big question is, usually when we end, we say, where are they now? And there are a lot of different options. He could be king. He could be left in the fade in Inquisition. He could be a Grey Warden. He could be a drunk. He could be dead. Um, so I, there's a lot of options. I personally don't think Alistair is going to come back in the next game. I know there are some people who want that to happen, but I, I just genuinely, I don't think it's going to happen. It's, I don't think it's on their radar. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think, I think a lot of these characters, um, Alistair, Morrigan, probably not Flemeth, but a lot of these, Liliana, Cullen, all these characters who have been staples of the three games, I think we might get mentioned to them, but I don't think we will see them. All right. Well, to wrap it up, 
my last question, as it always is, why do you love or hate this character? Austin, I will let you go first. I love Alistair because he's hilarious. Um, He is one of the first companions that you get, which, you know, for Bioware's track record with me, I do not always love their first companion that they get. To be fair, in the games that I have played, two out of the three first companions you get have been voiced by the same voice actor, which is, of course, Cartho Nassi and Caden Alenko. And then you have Atten Rand from KOTOR 2, but Bioware didn't make that game, so I don't have to count that one. Um, but I normally don't like the first companion, but Alistair is probably a staple companion that I keep with me all the time through Origins. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Alistair has a really rewarding story. I feel like he has a, a, a story that ends in a satisfying way. Like his arc feels complete to me, regardless of if you choose for him to be a king or a gray warden. Uh, I don't I don't acknowledge the drunk Alistair or the dead Alistair arcs. Um, just no, not for me. So, yeah, no, I think I think either way, he becomes a leader. He becomes someone that's more confident in himself. He becomes someone who is okay with who he is, like as a person. Um, and and later on in the story, you know, he's not a person that like hates himself anymore. I think he is a person that has a lot of insecurity and depression and hate for himself because of how he grew up being neglected. And so in Inquisition, when we see him again, I don't think he's that person anymore. And so I love that for him. I love that he's gotten the opportunity to grow. I love that he's gotten the opportunity to to help people um work through some of those things for themselves, you know, as the leader of a country or as an important figure in the Great Wardens. Um, Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I definitely agree with his overarching story. But I also think that like a really, really great video game when you talk about RPG, obviously like the protagonist story is really important. But when there is a companion story that carries not equal weight, but significant weight on the outcome of the th- of the story, it makes you feel more invested into the world because Alistair very much fits. Like if you want to talk about the hero's journey, s- journey uh, stereotype, it is not the hero of Ferelden that fits that stereotype. It is Alistair. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Absolutely. I I just I don't really have anything bad to say about Alistair and I normally I don't see a lot of you know people kind of trash talking him in the end and or in the fandom and maybe there's people who like don't find him witty or charming or something like that I could see that but I don't have a single bad thing to say about him yeah I mean there are Anders or there are Alistair haters out there um I'm sure I've seen some of them, but I think he's a very well-written character and I love him. Me too. Well, if you don't have anything else, we can wrap this up. Let's do it. All right. Well, before we go, a special thank you to our Nug King, Lewis H., who gets a special thank you at the end of every episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time.
Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember... Swooping 